this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney Insights podcast. Well, things have been a little busy this week as I have been out of town on business and dealing with a little bit of illness, but I thought it would be really a smart idea since we've been kind of in the middle of this Disneyland Paris series. We've gone through one side of Main Street over to Frontierland and then to Adventureland. If you haven't heard those podcasts, please do so. We're going to go to Fantasyland next, but before we do, we thought it'd be really good to have an opportunity to hear from Tom Morris, who really headed up, one of the Imagineers who headed up Disneyland Paris and played a big role in the Sleeping Beauty castle that was uh, designed for Disneyland Paris. We'll hear his thoughts about that, but we'll also hear his thoughts about other aspects of the park from Main Street to Tomorrowland. So without further ado, we're going to, this is a previous podcast recorded from 2019, but I think you'll find it interesting and give you better insights as to how Disneyland Paris came to be and the magic that has made that park so amazing. So without further ado, let's hear from Tom Morris. Tokyo. Okay, so Paris, uh, the castle, everything, you came in into the Paris experience with a lot of the work theoretically right. planned out. Right. Don't touch this, just get it done. Right. Kind of mentality exactly. yeah. here. Lots of interiors to do, but and kind of the exteriors more or less figured out. Besides the castle, which right. is so phenomenal, if you have not been to Disneyland Paris, you are just doing yourself a disservice not to go just for the castle. The castle is a gem on so many levels, and um, literally. <laughs> and um, what of your other projects in Fantasyland? If you could go to one place other than the castle, what other project, what other attraction really brings it home, which you just love? Well, the ones that I got involved with were the castle, of course, and then the hedge maze, Alice's Labyrinth, mm -hmm. um, because that was not on the original menu. That So that came in after I had started. Um, and which takes several years to pull together because you got to grow the thing. Yes. So yes, that was yeah. But it, we had three years from the time that it was determined that we would have a hedge maze, um, and so that's why it. it, it um, they used now I can't remember it was uh, Tuya I think was the plant which was the fastest growing, but it had to be followed up later by a slower growing, more permanent um, type plant. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. So they grew all that. They probably grew it in England because um, that's you know, that's where all the hedge mazes are. And there's favorite, hundreds of is them. Is there a favorite part of the hedge maze that you love? The labyrinth? Um, no. <laughs> I think I, the whole thing. Oh, no. That's, I like the little spiral part, the dodo rock. Um, it's kind of fun. When it works right, you get... Um, it's a double spiral, so you see people going clockwise and counterclockwise at the same time. And that music is playing, and the pop jets are popping, and the dodos spinning around. So uh, when that when that's working right, it's a neat little piece of public, uh, you know, kind of performance art. Um, and then I designed the train station and stage there. Um, you know, the way I designed the castle. I mean, I sat down and drew it up. Um, those were the only things I was heavily heavily involved in and then the rest was kind of supervising but I I did um, well how about aftermath did you do storybook or, uh -huh, yeah. or the you did storybook yeah. and the, the old mill yes and 
uh, Casey Jr. All well, I was in charge, kind of from a you know overall um, art direction standpoint for all the added capacity pieces except for Space Mountain, and um, some of them came together kind of by themselves, like the Nautilus we gave to the master of Nautiluses, Tom Sherman, and yeah. um, you know that didn't need to go anywhere else, and. Um, we had we put uh, a walk through in the fort at the entrance to Frontierland. Love that love that. And uh, we put a walk through at the entrance to Adventureland yes. with Aladdin because it had just had come been, out. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm trying to remember whether it. Had, I think it had just come out. Just come out, but yeah. it, but it hadn't been planned right. previously. That's right. Um, take me if you don't mind. Take yeah. me around. Take me around the park. Start, let's start with Eddie and Main Street. Yeah. The main designers. Tell right. me what strength they brought to the table. So, um, Eddie is a great, uh, first of all, has great imagination and great ideas, and he's a quick sketch artist, and he learned um, to be a quick sketch artist from people like Herb Ryman, who, you know, mm. he, he uh, got to know pretty well. And I don't think he wanted to do Main Street. Um, I think he was actually, he might have told me recently that he was actually brought over to wed from I think he was working at uh, Landmark Entertainment at the time and he was brought over um, and I think he thought he was going to be working on something else but then he got put on the Paris project and put on Main Street and it was kind of like oh my god you know and there's another job that's kind of already designed for you because they were going to use the Walt well, Disney one. Well, he wanted to do the 20s. He wanted to do the 20s. 20s type version, right. but he got right. shot down on that, budget-wise. Right, right. Uh, well, it was Michael didn't want to do it. Yeah. So I think that everyone else was open to the idea, but uh, Michael wasn't open to the idea. I think he just got nervous about making such a departure. Um, so Eddie brought you know so many great ideas and made Main Street that much better. You know, the trolley barn. I love the story you share about his input on the right. castle, which you kind right. of wanted but didn't want. Right. Uh, you mind sharing that story again? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, during this time in our careers, when we're in our um, late 20s, early 30s, we're very uh, competitive and protective, much more so than we should be or need to be, but we just are, I guess. And um, so... Now, I was, I, I always liked to think I was more open to um, bringing in any idea. I mean, that's just something that I learned from Walt is I take my ideas anywhere. If the, yeah. you know, uh, person emptying the wastebaskets has a good idea, I'm going to take it, you know. The dream catcher, you, could, yeah. you, take, you catch right. it everywhere. Right. And so I remember Eddie came in one day and I was, you know, this was kind of maybe one of the last pieces of the castle that I had kind of deferred because I was like, I can't, you know, which way does this want to go? And I had been doing my typical tissue on tissue on tissue. Um, <laughs> and he said, why don't you just, you know, since you're doing trees inside and since there's a motif already going on of uh, the woods, you know, it's like, uh, it's the um, $25,000 pyramid, things you would find in the woods. So um, the corbels and um, just a lot of the, ornamental pieces had already been determined, you know, acorns and squirrels and that sort of thing. And he said, why don't you just make those branches? You know, I was trying to figure out a way how to trim the vertical, main vertical part of the biggest yeah. tower. And he just did this little, 
quick little sketch of the branches forming a little gothic shape towards the top, and I'm like, damn you! <laughs> <laughs> I would have gotten got, there! <laughs> they the just came, he just came and did it. And, you know, and it was the right idea. Um, so I always see Eddie up there. Um, and I, I think Eddie was open to that kind of thing, too. Not all of the show producers were, but... Um, because, like I said, we were in that kind of maybe in that yeah. competitive. Yeah, a little territorial, yeah. but you had your own territorial. Land. Yeah. Let's, let's, so take us to Frontierland. So that was Jeff Burke. Yeah. And a lot of Skip Lang, and a lot of Pat Burke. Yes. But Jeff was the um, guy in charge, and I think his passion was with the Phantom Manor, making that a new show, with a maybe a clearer story, or a story. <laughs> Whereas the mansion. Rather than the cocktail theory yeah. that Walt kind right. of espoused, you know, you kind of hear something right. different every time you come. Right. This was going to be a little more literal. A little more. It's just a little more Price. of a backstory to it. Yeah. And so he was passionate about that. And, the you know, the um, Golden Horseshoe or Diamond Horseshoe or Lucky Nugget. Lucky um, Nugget. Yeah, Lucky Nugget. I'm starting to forget the names. They Beautiful. all start to moosh up. Yeah. Beautiful interior. And the whole idea, you know, I don't know if it was his idea to put Big Thunder in the middle, but... Um, you know, just using the Western cinema music because that was, you know, never done before. In fact, Frontierland never had background music. It always had just the little fort music, the banjo. banjo or something. Yeah, when you and came And here in. was this spectacular right. and that was done, Western, and that was, how the West was one time Exactly, thing. and that was specifically geared Love towards it. what we thought the um, French audience would go for. You know, their idea of what the West was was less nuanced than what you see at Disneyland where you go from sort of colonial times, you know, to log cabins to you're basically going from east to west. So he had you know? a real strength for reading the audience and what what Yeah, what I think European I think so. And I think we were all there. encouraged, you know, to go out there as much as we could and get a sense of what we, you know, um, what we thought they were going to want to see or or what they might reject. So take us to Chris. So Chris, uh, yeah, just, you know, fantastic model builder, you know, totally um, designed by model, you know. He does also draw and lays things out, but he had already, I think, proven himself as kind of a guy who's really good at doing things like islands and rivers and waterfalls and um, uh, that kind of thing. But he had also worked on Star Tours, I remember that, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, so he was just good at kind of, you know, just um, meat and potatoes, cool placemaking. You know, just based on, like, another one who probably grew Boy, up at placemaking is a great way to, yeah. to describe uh, you know, bridges the experience in Adventureland. And winding, you know, neat little uh, walkways and pathways. Um, and then I think, you know, he had a dream of, you know... Um, kind of reimagining the pirate attraction. Um, so it looked like everyone was getting to reimagine one major thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Pirates was going to be his uh, reimagining. And um, so, you know, a lot of his effort went into Pirates, uh, but, you know, the Treehouse as well, which was part of, you know, all, that whole complex of Adventure Island and then an Arabian Nights kind of um, entrance to the park. And I think the you know the um, 
Morocco Pavilion had probably just opened in Epcot a couple years earlier, and that was like the state-of-the-art pavilion at the time, and was kind of groundbreaking in how it made you wander Lost. and meander. Yes, which, yeah. is, which is really the... Yeah. The uh, the layout for Galaxy's Edge right. was to create that sense of um, totally uh, immersion. Yes. Um, so, uh, Tim, over in Tomorrowland. So Tim, of course, um, I think had already established himself through Epcot as being kind of the visionary uh, for futuristic. Um, yeah. And you know, designs that people had never seen before, cutting edge design. And um, I think the whole idea of mixing, making Tomorrowland kind of a Tomorrowland of all sorts of visions of the future, you know, yesterday's vision, today's vision, tomorrow's vision of the future. So you could have Jules Verne and H.G. Wells, and you can have George Lucas in there as well. Yeah, and combining those visions. Yeah. So Space Mountain, of course, was the, you know, cherry on the icing on that. So... That brings us to Tony. And Tim had designed a uh, oh, okay. fantastic version of the castle, too. He was one of six or seven people that uh, were all working on castles, which was why I was told not to work on the castle at first. A French, or no. Uh, Art, Nouveau. Art Nouveau. It was, it was you know, kind of a neo, neo who did, who did, Art Nouveau. Who did the, uh, yeah, who did the futuristic? That was, that was Tim. That was Tim. Yeah, so it, that's why I said neo. It was oh, kind of okay. like... Uh, I think Art Nouveau, I go back a hundred years, but that was that futuristic version. We'll show that in the show notes. It's it's, it's, it's so over the top. Right. It's beautiful. A lot of people, you know, said that they preferred that. And I was, you know, kind of just agnostic about the whole thing. I'm like, whatever you want me to do. (laughs) Well, I I knew what Tony wanted, so that's, you know, I I could um, kind of speak shorthand with him on that one particular thing I it wasn't it wasn't always easy that easy to know what he wanted on something but on in that case I knew exactly what he wanted um, and it's beautifully played out what is Tony's strength I think it's like Walt was in knowing how to uh, put people together bring people well, to the table you know, he has great ideas but also the ideas are going to come from other places so it's being an editor and he's open of, to that yeah and, and, and so he's an editor of good ideas and bad ideas you know he, he knows the bad ones from the good ones and um, quickly you know rather quickly like Walt did and um, then able to you know bring out the best and you know like with me I didn't know I could do a ride layout until he said I had to do a ride layout <laughs> <laughs> so, I suspected I could do it but I had never done it before. I didn't know exactly where to start. I had to kind of feel my way through it. So most podcasts um, fall out before we get really into Hong Kong. And I I want to make sure we carve a little bit of time for Hong Kong. What was your role? (laughs) Well, as you can see, we've taken kind of a whirlwind tour of Disneyland Paris. If you haven't been to that park, oh, you have absolutely got to check it out. May I suggest don't do it. In the dead of winter, the attendance is down, the lines are short, but oh, it's so, so cold in the winter. In the summer, it's just beautiful. And even though the attendance is crazy high because Europeans are on holiday all summer long, it seems, um, you you definitely want to check it out when it's so beautiful. In the meantime, do check out the notes page because so many things you've seen that 
that, that contributions Tom added um, f to the park and also um, the contributions of the Imagineers that he mentioned. I've highlighted uh, a lot of photos and visuals more than I usually do with most uh, of my notes pages. So please check that out, that picture of, of the castle that Tim Delaney created. So over the top. But you have to definitely check that out if you haven't seen that before. Also, I have a little video in the notes page um, where Tom uh, celebrates the 20th anniversary of the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea walkthrough attraction created by Tom Sherman, uh, who was uh, uh, the, the expert on all things Nautilus and 20K. And so even though that uh, video's in French, you want to check that out. Now, before, uh, before we finish out this podcast, I have one other story to share from my interview with Tom. And it has to do with um, uh, Pinocchio's Village House and Figaro. You remember Figaro the cat from Pinocchio? So this plays into, if you remember, there are actually several Pinocchio Village Houses the first is established um, with um, Walt Disney World, believe it or not. They were the first to create a Pinocchio's Village House. And uh, that was so successful that when they redid Fantasyland in Disneyland, they decided to add that along with the dark ride of Pinocchio, which we had a dark ride in, 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 uh, in Florida. But, um, but there's a little story about making a mistake in building that um, attraction and um, and Tom shares that and then how we um, created this little uh, reminder of uh, learning from our mistakes in the Disneyland Paris version of Pinocchio's Village House. Uh, so check that out and uh, listen to this um, Tom talk about it here. To them, And so we all have these paradoxes that we have to think about daily um, uh, you yeah. share in a video that that I posted on on YouTube and and we'll put that in the show link um, you share a little story uh, about Pinocchio's village house and I, I, I believe this is where I got the story from that um, of course there's been several Pinocchio village house right. first was Magic Kingdom right and then when Disneyland got rebuilt uh, with a new fantasy land they put one in right. and there was a problem with um, putting the exit sign oh, right. in the right place right. over the over the exit. Right. And so to make up for it, I assume to someone on Tony's team at that time drew um, yeah. drew Figaro yeah. with a with a rope leading Pulling that it. little yeah. exit sign. So right. when Disneyland Paris got built, um, they they put the exit sign in the right way that time. Right. And uh, and, and this thumbs up, thumbs up from yeah. Big Run. So, yeah. it, do you know anything more about that story, or well, or how let's that see. Kind of I think the original one for Fantasyland, Disneyland '83. Uh, I think Bruce Gordon. That was probably Bruce Gordon's idea, and um, and so he was very proud of that. And I just thought it'd be cute, you know, if we acknowledged, because here we, here we are right at that design phase where, okay, make sure we don't put a column in the middle of that space where we can't put the exit sign. Um, so this time the exit sign went in the center and it wasn't that much of a, a 
of an effort to have Steve Cargile, our really great you know character artist, redraw that and have him do a thumbs up. So it's, yeah. I mean, it's like the ultimate inside baseball little wink, you know. Yes. Um, and so just thought it'd be cute, and you know maybe someone. I just thought maybe someone twenty years later might catch it. Well, and I don't know if you've noticed, but at, which is now it's been redressed over in Disneyland with the Beauty and the Beast theme, and they have the little foot cushion dog right? actually uh, with the oh, rope tied you know, to I the exit sign. I haven't been in there yet. So yeah, next time you're there, it, yeah. go, go, go yeah. back and check that out yes. when you're in town. So, yeah. um, Just so you know, I have a Facebook Live that I've done from Red Rose Tavern that showcases how that was redone from Pinocchio's Village House in Fantasyland at Disneyland, but it presents the whole story and the link and there's photos there of all this. And it's just some great messages. Our souvenirs for your organization, which is signature to our Disney at Work podcast, um, takeaways that you can apply to your organization can be found at that link. So that's where we're providing those souvenirs for this week. So check out that link as well. Um, and there's more references. So when you visit um, the notes page for this podcast, on our YouTube channel, I have a series of videos. And uh, we had a library with the Disney Institute um, prior to moving from an office that was near SeaWorld I had borrowed, uh, using air quotes, a video of Disneyland Paris and the creation of, and it was an interview of all the Imagineers talking about Disneyland Paris. And after, so not long afterwards, not only did I leave, but um, D Disney Institute actually moved to another set of offices backstage at Walt Disney World. And make a long story short, the years progressed, like 20 years practically, and I realized I was in possession of this video. And I looked all over YouTube, I looked all over, and I, I do keep track of all of the interviews and things out there, and realized this video was nowhere to be found. So um, I have actually um, put out that video and it's available on YouTube and it showcases all the Imagineers first in a compilation video and then individually land by land. You have Main Street, you have Adventureland, Frontierland, Tomorrowland, and then you have Tom Burr or Tom Morris talking about Fantasyland. So I've put the links there and you want to check out these videos. This is where you get to deep dive into the crazy wonderful details. Michael Eisner really felt strongly that the level of detail in Paris needed to be far and above what you see in the other Disney parks. And that is why Disneyland Paris is the most beautiful park as is shared in the Imagineering story. So, so definitely check that out. And for more stuff, please check out my book, Disney Leadership in You. So, I try to create a podcast that you can listen to in the car while you're working out, but there's so much more to listen to. So check out these other resources, whether it's the Facebook Live story I have on Pinocchio, whether it's the YouTube channel with all these Disneyland Paris, the notes page that I have for this podcast, or um, my book, Disney Leadership and You, which is available on Amazon. 
hey, check it out because there's so much great stuff out there that is not only just fun to hear about, it, um, it inspires you with your own work and what you do. And that's what we're all about here at Disney at Work. Whether at, at, uh, at work or play, we want you to follow the compass of your heart. And so this is Jeff Kober, hoping that you have a great day and please stay with us. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast because uh, next week we will share Tom Morris as he talks about his experience with Hong Kong Disneyland. Thank you. Thank you.